This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, in so many shades of blue this cold day. In fact, he had so many layers on and he's just whipped them off for the podcast so he doesn't look like he's in the North Pole, but I think he feels like he is. It is Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. We're in greyness. Over in sunny Cambridgeshire is Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson. Um, she's got a wonderful smile on, and today she is in apricot or apricot. <laughs> a little touch of floral as well. Um, uh, do you know, I think our guest on this podcast must be in sunshine because he's come wearing a T-shirt while we're all bundled up in our layers. It is Luke Whiting of Alpine Specialists, Darcy and Everest. And if you are lucky enough to be watching the video version of this, you'll be able to tell instantly that he's an Alpine Specialist because of the amazing array of plants in front of him that we're going to talk about. Oh, what a display. Before we get onto that, Luke, what is your middle name? Uh, well, I've got two, Patrick and Robert. Oh, so Luke Patrick Robert Whiting. Yeah, there you go. At school, you know, when you're in primary school and they say, well, like, so you can go out to break time once you've written your name and spell it correctly. Yeah, like, my parents hated me. <laughs> well, don't worry. Names. Like you're, yours as well. <laughs> how many names have you got? Well, yeah, all the names and all the letters as well. Who knows how many yeah, S's yeah. there are in my name? Yeah, I you never go. got to break time until you're about eight years old. So. <laughs> Um, now, Luke, for people who, who don't know about Darcy and Everest, and if they're regular listeners to this podcast, they will know because we're a little bit alpine obsessed at the moment because of Alan's troughs that he's been uh, sort of refurbing at East Ruston Old Vicarage. I have to say, um, I have to say lots, of the, lots of the plants that I'm using in my refurb have come from um, Darcy and Everest and very good they are too. Um, I, I would just like to say before we start, you know, that when you, when you start using plants, I mean, you start using alpine plants, you probably go to your local garden centre and you'll go to the section which has alpine plants in it. And then you'll gradually get to the stage where you think, well, gosh, these are nice, but they're, they're not exactly groundbreaking or, you know, they don't open your eyes. But you It's go to the same like... since the 1970s as well, pretty much. <laughs> it's the same selection since the 1970s. Yeah. You go to Darcy and Everest, and I mean, there's two things. One I can see that Luke's got in the picture is Rhodohypoxis, which they have a huge selection of. Um, and the other thing is, of course, those lovely little things called house leeks, which everybody loves. Um, but, you know, there are so many different ones. And when you see the selection offered by uh, people like Darcy Neverest, you, you open your eyes. So say no more. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been raving about alpines and about you guys for a bit now. So it's such a treat to have you join us with some of your plants. But what is your history? What's the story of Darcy Neverest? Uh, so it's family business. So um, Darcy Neverest originally started in 1992. Uh, because the family had a wholesale business uh, selling alpines and herbs and they wanted to exhibit a Chelsea flower show and the rules at the time if you was a wholesaler it was a big no-no you couldn't get in the floor marquee or the the grand pavilion and uh, they wanted to do a whole rock garden in there so they started up Darcy and Everest as kind of like a sister company um, so then they could bypass the walls of um, Chelsea and uh, create a rock garden so they'd done the rock garden in 93 
and uh, yeah that's how it all started and then it, it sort of uh, progressed and then uh, it was my mum's uh, sort of hobby nursery I'd say it's a hobby nursery and then um, I came into it when I was 20 so like 20 years ago and then I stopped went backpacking with my wife and that sort of stuff and then came back kind of like hoodwinked me into it about 10 11 <laughs> years ago now um, but like back then obviously like initially I was like oh I want to go everywhere I want to like see everything I don't want to be stuck in a nursery and then like sort of coming back sort of age 30 I was like I just want that chilled out life now I just want to like and yeah the nursery life gives you that chilled like sort of life and the plants like sort of uh, you get to know them you get to know what they like and yeah it's just like a bunch of friends you, you like sort of have their quirks and have their downsides and yeah you get to know them more. I have to say Luke for, for many years there's a plant sitting in front of your t-shirt I just can't take my eyes off it <laughs> It's for many oh, years. The, uh, yeah, the calcinaria. Yeah, I've just written calcinaria. Um, I was going to be my flow, one of my flomos was going to be the calcinaria. Well, I got that actually because it came from you, but I mean, I'd like more of it. But, but just tell us about that because that is, if you could hold it up, that'd be rather nice so that um, people can actually get a closer look at it because that, it really is. Oh, look at that. I mean, that is an unbelievable. Tell us about it, please. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, Calcidae forvigidii, uh, so sort of Falkland Islands. It likes growing in with this just sort of grass, fully exposed, really hardy. The Falkland Islands, I, can, I, can, I think we can safely say it's hardy and windproof. <laughs> yes, yeah, wind, windproof is like a, a one thing that a lot of people ask, like sort of they're fully exposed and they're sort of asking, will it survive uh, sort of the windy conditions they've got and the cold? Um, yes. Most alpines will survive the wind because the very nature of where they grow, they grow at height and they grow in open situations. So that's, that's a, you know, the people are really answering their own questions. Well, like the first question they always ask is, is it hardy? Which is, uh, <laughs> yeah. You've got to take it serious as well. Obviously, like, <laughs> when I started on the nursery, I had no idea 20 years ago. I, I knew a bit because obviously I grew up with a family of growing um, wholesale. And like my my like paperboy job was going in the hot greenhouses and weeding and stuff like that, and yeah. coming out and trying not to faint. And um, yeah, so I kind of knew a basis, but yeah, like sort of you get to know more as you work with it. But yeah, we we grow it from seed, and initially, like when you look at um, reports on on growing the the calcellaria, it says it needs a cold germination, doesn't germinate in the middle of summer it will be a hundred percent germination you try and germinate it uh, in spring after a uh, cold winter you get about sort of 30 maybe 30 percent at most yeah you do it in the middle of summer 100 percent germination so <laughs> what, what becomes like a, obviously i've told everyone how to grow it but like what this is the thing obviously working with all the plants you sort of you're constantly sort of testing and trialing and trying to make it easy for yourself as a nurseryman to to get these plants to the customer and You're things like that yeah fresh seed germinates best in other words luke yeah with that it does yeah with some it obviously it doesn't everyone has like all tales yeah. of like all uh, juno irises or, or whatever they are so this is quite something because you know um we've got in our wildflower meadow here we've got a fantastic show of camassias at the moment camassias yeah. above north america um, where they're eaten by the indigenous people, I think, much as we eat potatoes, because it's a starchy old bulb. Right, um, yeah. If I'd believed the books, including the venerable RHS Encyclopedia, I would never have grown, it, grown them, because 
they tell us in that book that they like a moist soil. Well, our water table is 19 feet below the surface. The soil here is a fairly light sandy loam overall. It yeah. is not moist. <laughs> and yeah. Yet, yeah, and yet 20 years ago, 25 bulbs of Camassia is now sheets and sheets of them. So yeah. um, it just yeah, the right thing. AKA your little calciolaria, it just goes to prove, don't believe what you read. Yeah. yeah, we get told off by customers for what the RHS put on their website. And so they're like, <laughs> you've, you've told me this plant's drought tolerant and it says clearly it needs to like be in moist conditions. And we yeah. have a little a runcus, and yeah, I got a really good telling off. And I was like, look, I'll take a picture. This is it, in it. The ground is cracked and look, it looks amazing where the clay is cracked and it's still looking amazing. I was like, you can't get drier than that. That's, that's pretty yeah, much exactly. as dry as it goes. So, yeah. yeah. What yeah, I love like, about uh, calciolarias is their little faces. We were taking a stroll around Alan's garden with Bridget Girling of Moss and Stone, who's featured on this podcast a few times and um, pouring over all the plants, having a wonderful time. And she made the fantastic observation that it looked like a character from Sesame Street. It does look like a little <laughs> Muppet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's like a little face, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very like you could have, have a little puppet show. We'll do that <laughs> later on. I'll, I'll take him up and we'll do a little punch and Judy session with him. <laughs> now, surrounded by all these plants and having grown up with them, are there ones that speak to you more than others, or do you love them all in their own individual ways? Kind of, yeah, it's kind of like a, a bunch of friends. So, like I was saying earlier, you've got the sort of the, the positives and the sort of negatives of like sort of different ones pushing you to sort of uh, try and not be able to produce them and then there's the other ones that are just uh, straightforward and easy but they're like sort of everyone has its different quirks and like sort of obviously the colour as well through the year when I first uh, about 10 years ago you asked me then and it would have been I love this plant or I love this plant this is my favourite plant in the world but yeah like now like sort of yeah, it is like sort of a broad spectrum of all the plants that we grow. And when you were small, you say that, you know, you had your kind of Saturday job weeding in the hot greenhouses. But did you, I don't know, sort of rail a little bit against it? Or were you open to the idea of, oh, I love this plant, like from childhood? Were you kind of a gardening child by choice? Or was it only to, to earn that pocket money? Uh, so, like, I did start a, um, a gardening club at primary school. Um, but I think that was just to impress girls. I'm not sure. It didn't really work. There's only boys in the gardening club. We probably all tried the same thing. Um, so yeah, so like, so I had no real sort of interest in it. I was just a, a boy boy. Like I just like like boy stuff. I like the rock garden because you could climb all over the rocks. And uh, I liked like the, the sort of uh, sort of arboretum section uh, in the garden because I could climb trees. But yeah, like so actually getting into the plants when I was a kid. Uh, that, was, that was sort of nothing really other than not treading on the ones that obviously like you knew like if you damaged that plant you was in serious trouble so <laughs> I bet well let's let's have a bit of this show and tell then because Alan's already jumped the gun I love how Alan tells people like Ben Preston they need to learn patience right <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing with a zoom call as well you never know like who's going to speak and so like so uh, patience on a zoom call is definitely needed I reckon <laughs> There you go, Alan. You can uh, you can try and increase your patience because we've got to work our way through them all systematically. So we've had a little bit of calciolaria fun. Where are we going next, Luke? Uh, so let's go uh, for sort of more sort of dry conditions. And so this is Delisperma Beaufort West. So lovely baby pink Delisperma. 
And so you can still see it's got a bit of orange in the foliage where it's uh, still sort of through the, the winter season because it's just not warming up, is it? Um, and so, yeah, so then in spring, it'll be in, well, a normal spring, so probably our summer now, it'll be green foliage with those baby pink flowers. And it just like cascades. So if you've got troughs, it just softens the corner. And so with like sort of quite a lot of delospermids, they're quite sort of angular foliage. Whereas this one's uh, soft as well. So even the foliage is soft. So just, yeah, it's, it's perfect for sort of softening those sort of edges on containers or like sort of in your rock garden, just softening the, the rocks that you've got in there. Yeah, and that, uh, like that's one of my favourite at the moment. Uh, but like I say, it's a seasonal thing. My favourites that I'm very fickle. <laughs> they change pretty quickly. That idea then, of cascading as well. I know, Alan, you've touched on that when we've talked about your alpine troughs. You are very good at picking a plant and positioning it, say that little clematis pixie that then will just trail over the edge or the foxtail rosemary. And um, and it just totally transforms the trough. It gives it so much extra character and kind of contour. I think that's that's a, an important point. And I mean, I would echo what um, Luke has just said. I mean, he's a great expert on these plants, but delospermas are absolutely wonderful for the, uh, the edge of a trough, they will trail over and you get this waterfall of color. And they're not just in that wonderful soft pink that he showed us um, before, because they come in all colors, Luke, am I right? Yeah, yeah, we have some, uh, we, we do breeding with them as well. So we've got some new colors this year each one brings something different to it. And so you've got the vibrancy and as well, some of them spread uh, enormously well, like the Nubaganum, which is, is going to spread by about six foot. If you put it in a raised bed, it'll cascade down and then creep along the, the floor as well. Um, and amazing, just in a bright yellow uh, carpet. So yes. So if somebody's got a barren courtyard, um, we're in full sun. Uh, I mean, if they could plant that in them and it, they'll just get a carpet of color, it'd be fabulous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's just perfectly ideal for for everything that you need um, when you have that sort of uh, gravel or dry area, or you want to soften edges. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very very good. For you or I, you or I, wouldn't be satisfied with just one plant, would we? We'd have to put others in with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, like so, and as well, like uh, I'm very much now for planting uh, bulbs. So like sort of. Um, Rain lilies like Herbranthus, they're really good. So when the sort of rains of September come, they pop through with oranges and pinks. And uh, even we've got a, a blue in production at the moment. Uh, am I right in thinking that they look like um, a bit like crocus? Uh, yeah, so they're more of a sort of a cone. Um, but yeah, and some of them uh, open up uh, wider like a crocus, but most of them remain sort of in, in the cone. Right. Yeah, they're, but they're, they're like sort of stunning. So like I tend to like when I'm sort of uh, doing planting suggestions for people's rock gardens and that, I always add a few of those in. So they're just sporadically through the, the garden. So then in September, they just start firing up and they start, yeah. start flowering. So yeah. Brilliant. A lovely little I... September surprise. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When it starts cooling down and you need so, uh, something to perk you up in the rock garden. Yeah. They just like start firing out and yeah, they're great. So what have you got next, Luke? Uh, so uh, I thought I'd bring some of the rhododendrons um, because we just in in uh, uh, sort of acquired these from Tail Valley, which is another nursery, and they specialised a lot in woodlands and um, sort of on the other side they've done the rhododendrons collections, and so we've just uh, sort of uh, gathered about they delivered them in March, so we agreed with them last year. 
and uh, a lovely uh, Chris and Lorraine, like a lovely couple, and they've just retired from the show circuit, obviously because of like COVID, it retired them a bit early. But I mean, they're pretty happy with their dogs and sort of the the wildlife around them. And so yeah, there's 128 different varieties we have now. Uh, from just having sort of five uh, Rhodoxis varieties, uh, we've now got 128. Uh, so yeah, so we're kind of sorting through them and sort of uh, finding which ones work for us. And so over the next few, at the moment, we just sell them as a random collection. So we, for customers, we just pick them out randomly at sales. And the stock ones, we're sort of maintaining them. And um, we're, once we've finished the, the new gardens, we're going to test them out and see which ones are sort of more hardy and so the different varieties. So yeah, so they're really exciting at the moment. So because they're all new to me, <laughs> and there's so many of them. Uh, yeah, so yeah, very happy with those at the moment. So yeah, there's uh, flowers. I know there's, there's so many of them, and like so run just, us through what their names were just to test you. See, so, uh, so there's double. We've got uh, uh, kiwi, um, and then like you're going to test me out here, and you? you've got Mars, which is the the nice uh, deep pink. And then this one here is EA Bowls, which is a sort of pale pink. The light doesn't do it justice in here. And then you've got the, the dark one here. So this is Jupiter. So let me just see if I can, there we go. <laughs> so yeah, again, it's a nice magenta, really great stunning plants at the moment. And so obviously they're full of color. They've just like sort of now realized that it's starting to warm up and say, yeah, they're just full of color at the moment. So where we add the, the sort of them just as bare soil, where they dry down through winter. Um, now the whole thing, the whole crop is just in flower. And so it's amazing. Yeah, so it's uh, very nice and exciting at the moment. That must be a sunny area of plants in the nursery when they all sort of start singing. Yes, yeah, which is good because like sending plants in, in mail order now, which is like sort of most of our business is trying to send the flower without damaging the flower is extremely hard. Like at the moment we're um, working with a company to produce a box that um, there's nothing else other than cardboard in it. And so when you open the box, the plants are secured in there. So when they obviously play volleyball with the box in Korea, uh, they still come out intact. And so when you open the top of the box, the plants are just uh, wedged in the bottom, facing up at you with the flowers. So going to Harrogate Flower Show last week, we literally just blitzed the nursery of uh, flower and just took all the flower because they're so hard to send out and customers are like bees obviously if they see a flower they're like <laughs> like straight into it so yeah so like the, the nursery looks quite green so uh, yeah so um in some ways the stock bed looks amazing and like the the road high boxes we've got so many of them obviously uh they look amazing but yeah everything else is green where like harrogate was so busy we just I came back Friday night like halfway through the show and loaded up the van fully again and took it for Saturday and Sunday just everyone was so happy to like see plants I think well so. this is the thing I mean people have been starved of so much you know being able to buy plants and also at the moment as you've pointed out multiple times Alan getting hold of stuff at the moment feels so hard so is as it? soon as you see something in front of you buy it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Uh, like I think and, and as well like for, for like going to that show talking to exhibitors because like we we just can't get off the nursery of the mail order but like so uh, I think we've got five shows this uh, year but a lot of them they're doing all the plant fairs and like Alan was saying he's got a plant fair coming up and apparently they're just heaving like so he just like so uh, going there everyone just wants to go and see plants because obviously people it, it's great obviously like seeing the plants here 
and seeing them online, you can see the, uh, the pictures of them, but nothing uh, takes it the sort of actually seeing them in person and being there and touching them and sort of seeing the size and, and the actual true colour of them. And how right you are too about flowers, because the moment somebody sees a flower, they are exactly like bees. Zoom. <laughs> I want yeah. it. It's fine. And they're walking off carrying a 10 litre robot full of roses, but the roses are in flower. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it always reminds me of like scenes of Chelsea at the end as well, like yeah. people just carrying out massive pots of delphinium. And you're like, they're not going to get that into any vehicle. Like, so uh, let alone the tube. You're like, <laughs> love and you going home on the train? Yeah. I was like, Okay, then good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I always love the surprise on a nursery person's face when you ask to buy a plant that doesn't look like much. I remember I was really after one of those big yellow scabious, the Cephalaria cephalaria. And um, so I was kind of every plant stand I went to, I was on the lookout. So I spotted it and it wasn't in flower yet. So I was like, oh, can I have that? And they're like, hang on a minute. But it's just, just leaves. Why do you want it? <laughs> I was obviously, I was on a mission to get that plant, but it, it, you're right, you know, it's it's 90% of the time and you end up being wooed by a pretty flower. You, you go in thinking you, you need one thing, then you, ooh. Like, <laughs> and like, I'm the same, like I, I have to admit, like I, I go around visiting like sort of other nurseries and like gardens and you do, you just like, so, ooh. Because like, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're seeing its full potential. You're not seeing like sort of uh, foliage and you, like obviously, uh, like sort of, uh, the more you're in horticulture, the more you recognise things, and you know, obviously, your brain has a sort of a forward image of it being in flower, even though you're seeing it in foliage. But still, like even a nurseryman, like you, you just like ooh, <laughs> and drawn to it straight away, seeing its full potential. To put you on the spot, Luke, can you remember? And obviously, opportunities might have been limited over the last twelve months, but can you remember a time in recent? Uh, in recent months when that's happened what was the most recent thing that sidetracked you that detoured you off and you ended up buying something you hadn't meant to uh so not buying but i remember i was at uh, rhs wisley and like sort of the alpine team had come in behind the scenes and like we we have one of their students coming tomorrow just to like sort of have a bit of nursery experience and uh, i was walking through the greenhouse and that's where i got the uh, blue hebranthus now i believe it's the blue hebranthus because they weren't going to give me any seed but i was like look that seed's falling in that cobweb just in the window there and like, i hadn't got in there looking for hebranthus i just they got in there looking in one of their greenhouses and i was just like <laughs> like stared at it and it was like i definitely need one of those and then um yeah there's like no don't have any seat i was like can i just have one bulb just one bulb i can do something with one bulb and they're like no 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 and then uh, i looked around and yeah there's a cobweb just like below the bench and obviously caught some seed in it i was like well like i could tidy up that cobweb for you <laughs> so, yeah. you know what, no, Luke, like, I, I think that's the best excuse i've heard in years <laughs> yeah, i was doing them a favor i was tidying their glass I'm sorry and i'm sticking yeah. to it <laughs> So yeah, so uh, uh, some things like so acquired like sort of just off, off chance or whatever. And that's the nice thing is this like coming across something randomly, like not expecting to sort of go and see something, just uh, like getting drawn into something that you, you don't expect to be there. I also love that now when it grows on it flowers, what a story it has attached to it and what providence. It'll probably be bright orange. <laughs> It'll probably be the wrong seed. I'll <laughs> be like... <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and like sweet talk of like when it's just gonna go to seed and then like oh, like, oh flick that one into the cobweb. <laughs>
that was about three years ago now. So yeah, so it'll be flowering this year. So I'll definitely tell September this year what colour it is. And, and right there, you capture something that comes up time and again on this podcast, which is the, the patience you have to have when you're growing these things. I mean, we did this wonderful trip to Richard Hobbs Garden and he is big into growing bulbs from seed and Alan has caught that bug and has been trying to share that on the, the Get Gardening YouTube channel with his... Um, his Sprengerai, Tulipa Sprengerai video, which I'll link to again so people can go and, and watch it. But it, it is a big, long process for some of these plants for you to, to grow them from the very beginning. Yes, and customers want a flowering plant. So like, uh, so the, the alliums in uh, Brickham is like sort of a really dainty uh, allium, uh, sort of end of thumb-sized uh, pendula bell flowers really really showy it takes five years from seed to get to flower and size and all the bulbs we um uh, we get as offsets we keep those we say so we have to have a five-year crop every year available to sell them and so yeah so some year like this uh last year we sold a few in spring and then this year we haven't got any until um September because we need a seed crop because they're part of it they're hybridized so uh, yes yeah, so then we had to split all that crop to make sure that they're all true and then start again from that so yes yeah, some plants aren't easy um, but yeah that's, that's obviously what makes it interesting so and you, yeah you just gotta be patient with them yeah and it's also the space and the organization because you've got to make sure you keep track of them you all of that time and care that goes into them over that th those years yeah, so uh, bulbs are easy in, in the sense that you can fit a lot in sort of a, a three litre pot. And so if you can split them down there sort of later on when they get into size and then put them in their individual pots and then sort of grow them on uh, ready for point of sale. But yeah, the, uh, some other plants that, that take longer, obviously you need more sort of uh, space to to grow them and you need to grow maybe 25 of them to get a decent crop each year in 10 litre pots or whatever they are and so then they take up a massive room whereas like the the actual bulbs that we grow um they they take up about a probably three foot by 10 foot piece of bench and that's yeah. it like sort of in the whole nursery that's that's they're amazing like for compactness like i don't want to like obviously make it sound easy because they're not easy but yeah the, the fact that they take up so little space on the nursery is just amazing for us because space is always an issue well you just mentioning that i grow tulip of sprengeri from seed i've actually planted a pot when i i'm growing from seed and i was sorting through the bulbs late last year um uh, from a seed tray and the, the bulbs because they're species tulips the bulbs are really quite small but the smallest of all i just bunged into a pot and sort of stuck on one side and left them there and I was going through these pots, cleaning them up a few days ago, and I thought, what's this in here? And there was some muscari in there, but there was also tulip sprengeri. And I picked this pot up, and there's six to eight buds, flower buds in this pot. And so yesterday, I was very self-indulgent. I thought, don't split it now, but just put it in the garden as is. And yeah. you're right, you know, the, the, what you're just saying, Luke, one is no good. You really do need a clump or a group to make a telling display. Um, which is why your uh, your alliums, probably the little hanging pink allium that you're talking about, is probably even more precious because a lot of people, when they're really enthusiastic, they're not going to just buy one; they're going to buy five. Exactly, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And so, like, so we recommend with the allium. Obviously, it takes a long time to get up to a large clump, like our mature clumps that we have. 
yeah. and so like you, you are obviously for them that people generally just buy one anyway because they, they just want to see it then it's flower and size so they're going to see the the potential of it straight away but for us yeah it's like we we have clumps of about 20 years old and so obviously they, they make a mass they're amazing displays when we take them to shows yeah um but you're always worried that they're going to like have a little walk because <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's 20 years of growing like you're always worried like whether it doesn't matter whether it's Chelsea or like a smaller show you're always worried that they might go for a little walk as well as growing all these fantastic plants you actually sell miniature gardens don't you on the nursery I think yeah one's getting shipped out today the the alpine bowls so yeah they're really like popular for for anyone that has a small garden or a large garden because large gardens they obviously make features and in the small garden it is the garden like it, it like so we deliver them um, um and obviously pre-covid times we used to go and plant out for customers if they wanted to and uh, customers like myself are pretty lazy and so most of them want it planted up so <laughs> so yeah we we just go all over the country well i think these... <laughs> i think it's not just the laziness feature i think they probably come to you because they know that you're specialists in what you do um, <laughs> I, I tease them <laughs> And your knowledge is much greater than theirs and they then probably you'd put plants together that they wouldn't even think about or even know so you know it, you, it's a specialist service I think it's a great idea yes yeah, so with the bowls we do them in two sizes so you've got the 80 centimeter and the one meter so they're different sizes for obviously different areas and the good thing is, is each one is unique to the customer so what we do is we uh, create so almost like a, a, a mini rock garden in there uh, some of them want a uh, lush planting, which is absolutely fine, but most of them are going for that sort of classic rock garden. And so you're bringing the rock garden, A, to the front, to where you're obviously socialising and drinking your G and Ts or your, uh, just your tea. And then, um, uh, yeah, and uh, sort of all those delights and all those sort of seasonal colours are right there. So rather than sort of tucking it at the back of the garden, you're sort of bringing it there. And it's also like people with new houses now, uh, the gardens are so small and they're so weird <laughs> shapes as well they're like triangle like wedges and like sort of off to the side so they're perfect because you can have your lawn so like sort of whether you've got uh, dogs or, or kids or cats that need sort of a bit of garden to sort of run around in you've got that and as well you've got sort of a whole rock garden contained within the sort of uh, patio socializing area they're very popular like what like i say one was uh, shipping out today so i was on the nursery packing that this morning then I was like, oh, this will be a great shot for um, uh, this interview. And then, uh, yeah, realised I had no battery in the uh, laptop. So I had to come back. Yeah. <laughs> At least I got that done. So, yeah, when they come and pick it up, it's, it's done or whatever. Those, those pots, though, I mean, you obviously mentioned the size. That points to how much time and effort goes into them. But there's a lot of, as you would expect from a miniature kind of rockery, a lot of hard landscaping that goes into that. It's not just sort of here's a bit of scree and here are some plants. It's, it's a whole contoured thing. Yeah, so when we uh, sort of put it together, we ask the customer if they have any preference of their plants that they obviously want to go in. Uh, and the, the rock types and the sort of the, the surface uh, scree as well. And then we manipulate what we put into it for where they are. So if they're sort of on a, a Welsh mountain and it's constantly raining and miserable, then obviously that's a different um, substrate mix to if they're sort of uh, here in Cambridgeshire, uh, where it's dry in the summers. And so, yeah, so in the planting as well, obviously varies for that but the, the structure of it the actual rocks we arrange in different ways as, as people may see like obviously from the website but mainly it shows when we exhibit in them 
and that's sort of uh, winter interest. So you obviously you're creating that sort of rock garden and part of the rock garden of a winter is foliage and the rocks themselves sort of creating structure in the garden. And so, yeah, it's quite nice. Every time when we used to go and plant them up for customers pre-COVID time and like you go to the garden, A, is always nice nosing around people's gardens. Very nice. Like, so it's a, it's some tiny little courtyards, some massive like expansive uh, estates. Um, and yeah, and then like obviously sort of working like sort of which way the rocks will face in the sort of area that they're planted in. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of what they get for when we plant it out. Do you use two for rock? Uh, no, so um, we tried uh, wangling some from uh, Wisley once, but yeah, it's quite hard to get hold of. I um, could say it's very hard to get hold of because I, I've not seen it for sale for a long, long time, but I did manage to buy some probably 30 odd years ago and yeah. I kept it in crates behind my, we have, <laughs> this, is, this, this, this is funny, we have a shed and we packed on another shed behind this shed, so it's in the shed behind the shed, you see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I another shed on it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I've actually been fortunate enough to use it when I've been refurbishing my troughs. I haven't got very much left. I've got a little bit left, but not very much. But I mean, the one great thing about Tuper is it's a very soft limestone rock. You can actually drill into it, and you can carve into it. You can become an amateur sculptor, and you can dig yourself little planting holes, <laughs> which I did with Louisia Tweedie. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're 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 very blousy, aren't they? They're very large flowers. For yeah, but they, the one thing they hate is having wet wet crowns. So they really got to be planted, um, elevated, if you like. That's what I'm trying to say. So I've planted yeah. them so that their rosettes are actually almost uh, on the vertical, not quite, but they're almost on the vertical, and the roots go down through the tufer, and that seems to suit them very well. So with um most of us mere mortals not being able to get hold of Tufa because I've also been on the lookout um, because I and this I'm sure we'll come around to this if we have time I've got this tiny little trough that I want to plant up and I'm looking for some advice but I, I've sort of given up on Tufa a little bit what what is it that you find is the best um, you know, resource that we can actually lay our hands on Luke? In Cambridgeshire you've got Sandy Rock which uh, comes from a place in Sandy where they quarry it and it's an uh, orange sandstone and it's like sort of, yeah, deep sort of like a rusty colour. And that works really well. So uh, I drilled holes into that once and, and grew out of that. And that worked really well. It's all buried in. Uh, so the rock was sort of half buried in, in a sand bed. So it was moist and that worked really well. But actually uh, one time as well, we created a, a, a sort of a rock pile with really sort of gritty, um, sandy soil in there and uh, created sort of, it is in a tiny terracotta uh, pot and created a, a sort of a minute rock garden in sort of dwarf sort of bonsai style. And uh, yeah, that worked really well. Like sort of with the porous rocks, like sort of a couple of holes drilled in and yeah, and like sort of, it, it kind of got close to Tufa, but nowhere near in, in other senses. So yeah, so that was a, that was a nice little um, sort of project. But yeah, like sort of, there, nothing really beats Tufa. So, and yeah, obviously it, people like it as well more because it's hard to get. So things that are hard to get sort of uh, draw you in even more and you want them more. So, yeah. Well, you can feel very grateful, Alan, that you've got all that lovely tufa in your rock gardens because it does look spectacular. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, I do. And when I, I mean, I don't waste any of it either because when I get, when the pieces become small, shall we say, 
I kind of build them together. I don't cement them or anything, but I mean, I just use, um, you fit them a bit like a dry stone wall, I suppose. So you, you know, and the cracks and crevices in between, then you, you plant and then the plant roots actually hold the whole thing together. Do you know, I think um, with any plant, it's wonderful when you see it mature and do its own thing, but there's something so exciting about, you know, you mentioned your, your alliums when they're a 20 year clump, seeing these alpines spread and develop and root and, and intermingle is just magic. Yeah, most of them, uh, like sort of uh, the crops are, are young, so they're under a year. Um, it, yeah, so like to, to get that is very easy. So I always sort of, when I'm talking to customers, I relate it to sort of the baked beans on toast or the Michelin star restaurant. Like there's everything in between. And like, I love a roast dinner. Roast dinner is one of my favorite things in the world. And in the plant, sort of in the alpine plants, the, the roast dinner of plants is perfect and everyone can achieve that. And like, so you don't have to go into this all um, weird and obscure. You just uh, like to be happy, baked beans on toast or sort of roast dinner. What's your roast dinner a, then? What's your roast dinner of alpines? Uh, so uh, roast dinner of alpines, the Lurizias are obviously always good. They, they flower really well. And the calcellarias, the different calcellarias we do and the, the Lurizias, they're just great colour. Um, but like sort of across the board, uh, like sort of most of the plants we grow, are very easy and even the, the ones that take five years to get to fruition they're, they're generally easy uh, because the one thing with us they all grow in a multi-purpose compost in a pot if they don't do that then obviously they're more uh, specific and we grow very little of them because as a nurseryman you don't have the time to sort of constantly babysit um, really hard to grow plants and so out of the 600 varieties we have like all of them uh, like sort of that what I'd call a roast dinner. They're, they're like, so everyone can attain them and everyone can buy them and know that they'll grow them and be able to sort of maintain their, their sort of high standards. Um, and the sort of, uh, the sort of Michelin star is my personal little projects that sort of no one sees. Like they're, they're just like sort of tucked away. And occasionally we'll, if I had sort of produced some from seed or, or sort of uh, cut-ins, then we'll release them as a, like a, a little sort of side batch to customers that we know. And so like we used to do it a lot at shows. So there'd be various customers that obviously are really specialists and they're sort of more towards the Michelin star because they have all the time in the world. So we'd just say that obviously we've got these. Do you want some? And yeah, they're, they're generally taken straight away. So we've. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface with the plants in front of you. We've, we've looked at a few. I love that when you gesticulate, you catch your little pom-poms over to your oh, side. These, these ones here. So this is uh, Dianthus pinifolius. So as a mature uh, plant, it'll have about sort of uh, 20 to 50 flower heads on it. And it's, it looks amazing. They're sort of deep red, tiny little flowers coming in there. But yeah, so, uh, but the thing, is, it's just the structure of it. It's just, it's such tight foliage. The foliage stays really tight. Um, it's a dianthus, it's very easy to grow. It'll self-seed a bit. It's so fine. And they look like little jewels, actually. And like sort of for an addition to a container or a rock garden, just gives you a bit of height without sort of all the sort of um, flagging foliage everywhere because the foliage is so tight to the ground and yeah. it just yeah. fires up sort of 12-inch spikes of uh, red flowers on the... Brilliant plant. Yeah, I love that plant, just for sort of a bit of height. And What's yeah. the one dead in front of you with the red flowers? Ah, so that one is there just for colour. So that one is a dwarf delphinium. So that is a nudicale fox. 
And so uh, it gets to about sort of uh, a foot to 18 inches, depending on how rich the substrate is. Um, Short-lived, so um, we've had plants last about three years before, but generally use, uh, so we use them um, as sort of a, a sort of a two-year plant, but self-seed. So if you have a container or, or scree bed with uh, gritty uh, soil, then the seed will fall into that grit and germinate the following year. And then obviously you get a nice cluster out of them. Um, and yeah, they're just so showy. They're like, it's all, almost like a, a bright red going towards the orange, but yeah. And then there's um, different forms. We have one that we released this year, which is Delphinium uh, nudicale peach. So that's a sort of mottled um, yellow to sort of peach. And yeah, I it, it, uh, didn't do it justice. It is really nice. And yeah, that's that's come from uh, one of these crossed with uh, one of our other delphiniums. And yeah, so they're, they're really showy, really small. Like you want sort of that lush planting in a container, then uh, yeah, they, they, they give a lot for their money. So. I lost several hours to your website the other day, um, just looking <laughs> through. <laughs> it, it should be said that your website is particularly handy for narrowing down filtering plants by their situation and where you want to grow them particularly in terms of shade midday you know morning sun afternoon sun things like that and um so yeah I I lost several hours and what I noticed is there were lots of things that you had named so obviously you're doing a lot of breeding work and a lot of introductions yeah so we used to be a bit self-absorbed with uh, naming because we wanted people to obviously on tv to Google or realize it was from us, it'd be Darcy's love or whatever it is. Um, we're trying to sort of go away from that now. So it's uh, sort of friends' names or relatives' names. Um, there's a uh, Delasperma, um, which is the uh, release this year that we've done, which is Darcy's Small. But uh, it wasn't named from us because uh, a customer, their um, a granddaughter sadly passed away with cancer. And so he said, can we name a plant? And I was like, that, yeah, that, uh, like we can do that. What was her favorite color? He said, oh, she likes sort of the pink and, and purples. So I was like, oh, okay, this, this Delasperma will be perfect for her. What would you, uh, what's her name? What would you like to call it? And yeah, her name was uh, Darcy. And so obviously we just said, well, we could call it Darcy's Smile. So yeah, it sounds like it's coming from us, but that one was like sort of um, one of our customers. So yeah, so we're trying to sort of go away from our own sort of names now and try and be less self-absorbed. <laughs> sort of family names or friends' names or even like customers' names. So sometimes a customer will say like, oh, can you name a plant after me? And yeah, like, like it's really hard thinking of names of plants. So yeah, so like we're, we're always like sort of keen to to get suggestions. Although the, uh, the um, Boaty McBoat face like, <laughs> names that... Uh, yeah, some some of our friends we uh, don't ask them to. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, one of the reasons I was immersed in your website for so long is because I am trying to pick uh, plants. But it's not not overly large trough. But the thing is, it's probably only going to get going to get an hour or two of sun uh, because it's on my quite shady patio. But it was a real delight to see how many of your plants were growing shade because maybe I'm the only one but I you know I always think about rockeries being drenched in sun and exposed and bright and I'd kind of thought I was going to be incredibly limited but you have lots of lovely things. Yeah the good thing is as well is uh, one person's idea of shade is completely different to mine so my idea of shade is that it's under a canopy of a tree it's like really dark and gloomy there's moss growing over the like sort of the wall that it's like sort of next to um, and then you have sort of, sort of the dapple shade which is like obviously 
generally like sort of towards the edge of the canopy. So it's still getting sun and it's getting sort of good light through there. And then there's the other type of shade. There's obviously three types of shade, like so it's like different types of snow. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's the one where yours, is it just that uh, it's behind the house and like yeah. sort of it's fairly it's shaded? It's just basically north facing, but it does, the sun just about catches it. But it, it gets a lot of indirect light. And this is, unless you've got a tree canopy over it, you can grow most of the, the varieties. They're like a, a sunny position because all they'll do is flower later. So it will delay the season that they're in. And some, you won't get as much flower as you would normally, but generally it doesn't affect it at all. It just, it will just delay the season that, that it'll actually start flowering in. So if it starts flowering in March, it may start flowering in April because it's still getting indirect light. So it's basically what you're saying is I'm now going to lose about 14 more hours on your website because the, uh, the spectrum has just widened wildly. <laughs> Yeah, so, and the thing as well on the website is that um, obviously we grow, like each year we change what we grow. One thing we get asked by customers all the time is why is this, because they're so used to like sort of crocus and like all the other uh, big ones and you just see in stock plants, you don't see the out of stock varieties. Whereas for us, we show the whole thing. So when you go in the website, unless you click only the in stock items, you're spending hours looking through like lists of plants. But like on our website at the moment, I checked like before we came on, uh, so we have 584 varieties and 320 of them are in stock. It's that sort of balance for us is like we're constantly growing. We're constantly trying to get sort of um, uh, the varieties in there. And we say that if there's more than 50% available at any one time, that's a good year. But if anyone's listening and they sort of want something specific and obviously uh, it's out of stock, then just email or phone us because in my brain and in Laura's, my wife's brain that works on nursery as well, um, is roughly when it's next going to be available. So, like, so it may be like sort of September, or it may be next week, or yeah, whatever it is. Um, all those ones on the website will be available this year at some point, just at some point. <laughs> well, that might help me with my flomo when we come round to it. One thing I was think, one one thing I was thinking of, Luke, when when uh, we we started this, that is that it's it's very easy to make um, uh, rockery look wonderful at this time of year. Um, spring and early summer is probably peak flowering rockery time. Yeah. And one of the things I was trying to do when I was ordering from you was to, um, to order plants that um, flower later in the year. Um, one that I got from you, I don't know when, I can't tell you when, was a dwarf vabascum, which I thought was really, really charming. It's like a little tiny, I suppose it grows to about maybe eight inches tall, if I'm lucky. I'm, an, I'm exaggerating, wings. I don't know. Golden wings. Oh, yes, it could be. And there are quite a number of plants that you actually sell that flower later in the autumn. Um, I seem to remember there was a, a little white Michaelmas daisy that sort of creeps along the ground and then falls over the edge of a trough. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, the original one, uh, uh, I'm probably saying that wrong, but yeah, that um, it's a, a creeping uh, original and I'll take out with a delphinium at the same time. Um, yeah, that, that's uh, really good, sort of later in the year. They're sort of really, the last flowering plant that we do um, in a year is normally, it flowers about sort of second week of October. And that's, yeah. um, it used to be Polyzena uh, Longituba, it's now Latinella uh, Longituba, um, although I still always called it Polyzena because I like the name. Yeah, that, that flowers second week of uh, September normally. So Chelsea this year, we should have like sort of amateur uh, clumps uh, like uh, available in display and so yeah it's really nice it just it's 
tied to the ground, formed a nice uh, sort of uh, mat of uh, uh, sort of white and uh, pink striped flowers. Yeah, really yeah. showy. And that's well, like sort of... Chelsea's going to be a challenge for you probably because, well, it, as it is for everybody, because everybody's going to have to put their thinking caps on to do a slightly different display. Either that or they're going to have to put their forcing caps on or their whole back caps on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, for us, like, uh, uh, it's completely out of our season. So more the Scottish nurseries do really well because obviously it's sort of more sort of woodland and like sort of uh, foliage and, and that. And so for us, a September Chelsea, it, I'm going to be super stressed in September. Like, it's going to be... It's going to be very interesting. Um, I'd say I'm not a stressful person, but when it comes to Chelsea, no matter whether it's in spring, I'm stressed. But like sort of having it in September, I'm going to be like sort of uber stressed on uh, uh, trying to get something and a display to get together. What we've done was actually uh, shrunk uh, uh, display. So it's about a third of the size, literally because obviously like sort of it's something we haven't done for uh, like sort of a very long time is a, a show in in uh, September. So yeah, it's going to be yeah. interesting for us. And, I, think, uh, I think it'd be interesting for us all, actually. Yeah. And the good thing is, as well, is like September's always, uh, like, they're long days anyway, so obviously that's that's a given, they're like 12-hour days. Um, but like, it's so hard getting into central London, but like, I'm hoping, obviously now, like obviously with COVID and stuff like that, it's easier getting into central London, because like, yeah. trying to commute in there, set up a display, come back, get more plants, go in and like, set it up. Um, we're actually, I don't know if you ever saw them, we used to display in resin troughs, so they're sort of, they look like real stone uh, made out of a resin, and um, uh, so we've got a new supplier in the UK that's manufacturing for us in the UK, and so uh, we're releasing those at Chelsea, so the good thing is, is we'll have the Alpine bowls as well, but we'll have those, so at least with the um, resin troughs, we can plant them up on the nursery and carry them in uh... with the Alpine bowls you have to go and do it all on site and like sort of a normal Chelsea taking like sort of uh, 10 bowls and hopping backwards and forwards in and out of central London to Cambridgeshire is just yeah it's so hard I work. Think, I think driving from Cambridgeshire into the Chelsea Flower Show you must feel as if you've done a day's work yeah, when you get you started. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Brings us quite neatly onto Flomo, really, because if there is a place in the world where, well, apart from East Rustonville Vicarage, where you come away with like a whole new book of plants for your wish list, uh, it's the Chelsea Flower Show. So Flomo, for anyone who's never listened before, is is that kind of FOMO you get about a plant, so something you really want to grow. Um, I obviously have, have spent all these hours on your website, so there are quite a lot of them. But um, because I was trying to restrict myself down to shade plants at the time, thinking I had shade, now, obviously, the list is going to be longer. But there was a wonderful thing that caught my eye called Soldanella Montana, which had these masses of little purple bells, little frilled purple bells. And I'd never seen it before. Um, and I just thought it was magical. Yeah, they, they're great plants. Uh, really sort of early spring flowering. So sort of normally sort of February, March time that they're in flower. But uh, in the European Alps, where they come from, as the snow melts, they'll be sort of uh, uh, popping through sort of in that sort of uh, edge of the woodland. And like, so yeah, they're, they're really, yeah, great, great little plants and perfect for sort of small containers. And yeah, if you, you've got that sort of shady area, um, really good in that. So. Wow. so Luke, what's your Flomo? Because I think this is something that you've been after for a long time. Yeah, so um, Allium uh, chrysanthemum. 
like when you google it you have to google and google and google it to find it to actually find out what it is because it will just show you sort of um flavin varieties and and hickory mullions and stuff like that it's a pom-pom on a very short stem it's sort of pastel yellow with a bit of vibrancy and it's quite a large flower and so uh, I'll, I'll send the, the link across. The, uh, the first time I came across it was uh, Harry Yans and his like sort of uh, botanical tours. And it, it was on a talk that I was at in Germany. It, it came up on the screen and I was just like straight away, I was like, I want that plant that, that just looks amazing. And um, yeah, and ever since then, like sort of, I've been trying to get it. And I uh, remember, it, I think her name was uh, Jackie uh, Curie, maybe. And she holds the, the National Collection of Valiums with a, a, a landscaping partner. And I, I said to her, like, obviously, because uh, she wanted a couple of plants that we had. And I was like, uh, uh, there's this one allium that I want. And she's like, oh, yeah, like, so I, I know the one that you want. And uh, I was like, yeah, if you ever find that, like, just uh, just want one seed. Like, one seed will, like, sort of do me. I can, like, sort of do a lot with one seed, as we tell from the, the cobweb in Wisley. And um <laughs> Yeah, and said uh, I think I know someone that has it in their collection in the UK, and I was like, oh my god, like the lights like, sort of the heavens have opened, and like uh, I'm getting like rays of uh, light on me, and um, yeah, and like that was a flat no. <laughs> like there's a lot of no's in horticulture, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm still looking for that one. Um, so yeah, so whoever that is that holds a collection, if you're watching this, like, <laughs> like one scene. <laughs> It's not a lot to ask. But anyway, so yeah, so and to like sort of general public, they may just look at me like you're just weird. Like why are you like searching for that one plant for so long? And I think part of it is that I'm like still searching for it. That one's still elusive to me. So Playing hard anyone... to get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe like when I'm 65 or something, <laughs> someone might be uh, give it to me as a retirement present. Maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll keep looking for it. So Alan, what's your FLOMO this week? I've got two actually, um, because I thought, well, I'll, I'll get one ready. But then, of course, talking talking with Luke today has been inspirational. I have to say, thank you very much um, for your inspirational choices of plants. But Dianthus pinifolius, um, that is going to be part of my flomo. So, Luke, you're going to expect an order within the next few days, I expect, um, because I think that that is the kind of plant that would look really good in a, shall we say, an informal short grass type planting, not to compete with big grasses. Um, I'm talking about wild grass now, but I mean, yeah. you know, on the edges of something. I just think yeah. it's a wonderful plant. And the fact that it seeds around um, a little bit, it helps as well because it, it could be one that um, is a naturalistic looking plant. My other FLOMO um, is something that was brought home to me talking to a friend called Joe the other day, and she has uh, she had a salvia and she was asking me how to propagate it. It is in actual fact called salvia candelabra and it's a plant that we had huge stands of. It looks a bit like a sage on the ordinary grey leaf sage on steroids but right. it, covers, it covers itself with these lovely blue flowers in early summer and it's a terrific looking plant. I love it to bits but it's, it's hardiness is somewhat um, debatable. And last year, um, well, no, it was this year, actually, when we had all those cold wind frosts, it actually uh, killed it in my garden anyway. And so I'm looking out for Salvia Candelabra. I've been on the internet and I can't find anybody that's got it in stock. So if anybody's listening and they feel kind, don't forget that we need an uh, Allium Chrysanthemum for Luke. 
<laughs> we need a soldanella for Thordis. And I would like salve candelabra, please. <laughs> Lomo's all round. Uh, Luke, it's yeah. a real treat. It's been a wonderful insight and it certainly has given us a whole load of, of Flomo. So many more things for our wish list. And I know that you're mostly just set dressing with those plants, but it does, it just look like you're in some sort of heavenly alpine meadow. It's wonderful. Yeah, well, that's the good thing on the nursery. And like, so it's it's so great talking to you as well. Like to being locked on the nursery, like you, you hardly get to talk to anyone anymore. Like you get the, the old phone call and they're lovely. But like actually seeing faces and chatting to you too, yeah, is is like actually like I was I was a little bit daunted because I hadn't done any talking for such a long time. <laughs> but obviously, maybe that that's why I'm talking so much because like it's when you get a courier and you've been locked down and you're like like telling the courier the life story. They're like, oh, I just want to drop you a parcel. Like, yeah, that's what I feel like today. So yeah, it's been great talking to you too. Oh, it's you always too. fun to talk plants. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Happy gardening. Have a go. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.